in a secret lab somewhere in the Western Hemisphere. The perfect human specimen has been born. He has the strength of 10 men and the wisdom of 20. He also has a twin reporter. I have a partner. Oh my goodness, I you look good. ML Elric. Born to be bad. And Sean Windsor. Way to go, Mom. Are the soul of Detroit. You asked me to ride your truck right out of my face. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified, ML. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Hey kids, it's your old pal ML Elric coming to you much chipper and more cheery-eyed than I was an hour or two ago when we were launching into what I thought may be one of the most moribund episodes of the podcast ever. And then my friend, my man, Alan Lengel of Deadline Detroit, who asks you to subscribe to Deadline Detroit, as I do, so that you can get first access to amazing stories like his exclusive report, And I'm going to let the headline speak for itself because it really says it all. Ex-Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick shares plans to remarry, join ministry in first interview since release. And joining us here on The Soul of Detroit to talk about it is Alan Lengel, the editor and publisher of Deadline Detroit, with an exclusive report that will at least make Bernard Kilpatrick happy because I think he always felt that his son should go into the ministry when he got out of out of stir. So Alan, um, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty interesting really. I mean, you would think, eh, not that interesting. I, I think everyone assume, I mean, Kwame was, was such a good politician. Uh, I mean, I think he's precluded from running for state and local office. I don't know if there's a, li- you probably know better than I, there's a limit on that, but he could run for federal. Uh, he could have run for Congress. He could have run down, in Atlanta. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. He's taking that path, but maybe not so much, uh, after spending all that time in prison and, and really, um, I mean, what he talks about when he first got to prison, he was angry and, and all that. And he wasn't really thinking in a spiritual way. And he had some people talk to him and I think they opened his eyes to, uh, other possibilities of, uh, you know, something more spiritual. And, uh, and then, you know, he's a smart guy. And I think he started advising a lot of people and counseling people and all that kind of stuff. So, well, there's no question. Kwame Kilpatrick is a very talented man, a very smart man. I think there were a lot of people who felt that Peter Carmanos hiring him as a salesman was a questionable move, but I think anybody who knew Kilpatrick as well as I did, knows that he could sell anybody anything. So it was really right, a smart right. move. And, and yeah. I thought when he became a free man again, that he'd probably lay low, kind of recover, recharge, and then he'd get into some sort of business endeavor where right. he would make a bundle. But uh, right. but the ministry, that... You, you can make a bundle preaching, though. You can. There have been some people, you know, hopefully that's not his uh, main mission. Although, you know... It's hard not uh, to think it is, <laughs> Yeah, but who knows? I mean, you know, 
I mean, he's, he's already starts out, uh, you know, in advance, he's, he's got name recognition. I mean, if he were so, although, uh, you know, the question is, would he stay down, uh, you know, in, in Atlanta, I mean, where he doesn't have the same name recognition. I mean, if he comes up here, if he were to open a church, I would imagine a lot of people would, uh, attend the church and, uh, well, yeah. Alan, Alan, before we get to the story behind how you got the story, I want to tell folks a little bit about Roy O'Brien Ford. If you need to get from point A to point B in uh, in this part of town, why don't you check out Roy O'Brien Ford? That's RoyO'Brien.com. If you don't want to go in person, you'll find out all kinds of good deals. You'll find about Fast Track, which lets you choose your vehicle and options. But if you want to go to their store at the corner of Nine Mile Mac, you'll see beautiful cars, new and used on the lot. Good deals still to be had. Go in there, tell them what you're interested. They will fix you up. And if you already have a car and you're having some trouble with it, they will fix that up too. So Roy O'Brien is the place to get your Ford and to get your car back on the road or maybe just to get a fresh set of wheels. You can find out more at royobryan.com or call 888-566-5861, 888-566-5851. I do not think that they 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 rent vehicles there. Uh, which means uh, Kwame Kilpatrick's going to have to find a different place to get some wheels when he comes to town uh, this weekend, right, Alan? Wow. Right. Apparently he has been, in, well, he's been invited to, he's going to have sermons at two churches. Uh, one, uh, you know, the, the Reverend Holly's church there on Woodward. Historic Little Rock Baptist Church, The Little church, Rock Baptist Church. And that'll be live, I think, at 1030 or so. The other one he's already recorded, and that's going to be at 8.30 uh, in the morning. So that, that will be recorded. He won't be at that church. So so how did you get this story, Alan? I mean, this is this is something that I well, think everybody's... Well, I'll say that I, so, I, I was able to... Someone gave me the phone number, but it was in, interesting, the conversation. Uh, when I called him, I didn't know how he'd react. If he'd go like, oh, no, get away from me. Uh, but... Uh, what was interesting is he said to me, you know, I've been meaning to get a hold of you. And I didn't have, you, you knew Kwame. I mean, I knew Kwame from maybe nodding my head in the courtroom, uh, you know, maybe going down the hallway while he was on trial. I, I was out of town. I was in Washington up until 2011. So, I, I mean, occasionally I, I do remember him at the MBD Bank when it was MBD over at Fort Street coming in one day when I was visiting town and I had to check a bank account there, but, uh, I didn't know him, but he said, you know, I've been trying to, uh, get a hold of you. He goes, I wanted to get a hold of you. Uh, and thank you. And I was like, really for what? And I had written a story. Uh, I mean, I, I've covered federal courts for you know decades now and, I, and I've seen a lot of cases and I've covered some high profile politicians who have been sentenced and, uh, no one had ever gotten 28 years, of, from my experience. I know uh, the prosecutors were comparing it to uh, the Jimmy case Demora down Ky- in Cuyahoga right. County, where the supervisor there of the county commission got got 28 years, and someone else got 21 years. But I thought that was another ridiculous sentence, and that unfortunately creates uh, the absurdity creates a precedent in which others. Can then be as absurd, and and I just thought this this was absurd, and uh, and I and I wrote a column, and, I, and then the headline was something like, you know, Kwame Kilpatrick's twenty eight year sentence is still ridiculous, and 
I started out by writing about, and I took from the Atlantic Magazine, which I referenced there, uh, there was a judge there, in, a federal judge in, in Seattle, and he was trying to get a prison built in Northwest uh, U.S. Uh, so people could be closer to their, you know, their loved ones. And uh, they finally built one. The, the judge got on his motorcycle, drove four hours down south to Oregon, and visited the cell. And they had a big, you know, big ceremony. The, the, the prison was already occupied. They had an official opening. And the judge was walking through the prison, and someone yelled, hey, judge. And uh, he turned around, and he said, hey, do I know you? And the guy says, yeah, you sentenced me. And in the story, it says, you know, he sends a guy to 10 years for bank robbery. The guy was unemployed. His wife was ill and he needed money. And but he robbed multiple banks. So the judge said, well, you know, it's a fair sentence, 10 years for, you know, bank robbery. And so he started visiting uh, all these inmates that he sentenced every year. And maybe it might have been twice a year. And he said, you know, I started to notice uh, how much they'd aged. And it, it, it hit me what one year is every year i went down there they were aging and i realized what a year was and it made him rethink sentencing so i wrote and said maybe judge edmonds needs to go down there uh you know because the sentence is just totally out of whack and ridiculous and, and it just has no you know context there and so and, and and i put in there also that i said look kwame's not a sympathetic guy he committed crimes and he was should be sentenced but not to that and so I think it gave it that balance. And so, Kwame, you know, Kwame was saying that column, along with some other things, helped uh, get him out. He said that the column was circulated at the White House. It was circulated among other officials. Uh, and, you know, his sister called him up. And I mentioned this in, in the interview. His sister called him up and, and he said he had stopped reading the Detroit papers because he was so heartbroken that he had been sort of disassociated from Detroit, sort of banned from Detroit. And he said he didn't even know until 2018 that Duggan was mayor. He just told everyone, I don't want to hear anything about Detroit. Don't talk to me about Detroit. And so his sister called him up and said, hey, I want you to read this uh, column in Deadline Detroit. And he's like, I don't want to read it. Why do I want to read it? She says, no, no, you need to read it. And he read it. And he said, wow, this guy gets it. He's, he's not pro Kwame. He's not anti-Kwame. He's just talking about the justice system and what this means in the context of it. And so, you know, I think that uh, was definitely helpful uh, to, uh, and then he, you know, agreed to do the interview. I mean, um, and so, I mean, I think it's a fascinating interview. I mean, he does have, he talks about the shame that he had uh, for what he had done, you know, to his family, to the city. And then he, and, and he talks about really his, his children that he said he felt uh, embarrassed for how he had treated his wife, Carlita, and that, uh, that he had, you know, deceived her and, and, and cheated. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, story. I mean, it's really, you know, you know worthy, movie worthy. It's a very interesting article. My problem with it is I don't believe him. I don't. Huh. I don't believe that he didn't read the media. I don't believe that he is a changed man. He certainly hasn't showed very little contrition. I think, even um, regardless of what you just said about how he feels that he ripped off Detroit, do you feel like he sh has showed enough contrition for what he did? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. He 
he dances around the uh, the ideas. I mean, I said, so uh, do you admit, you know, that you did wrong? And he says, yes, I did wrong, and I, I screwed, you know, the city and blah, 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 and I, I let down my family and stuff like that. But then I, you know, so I, I thought, well, I said, well, criminally. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 if there was anything that was a little bothersome, I think, you know, we talked about uh, bid rigging and uh, bribery, and he just said, you know, those weren't appropriate charges. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think they were appropriate charges. Uh, that's where I disagree with him. But then he went on to say, uh, I don't think, you know, I, I'm not sure he remembers everything about the case at this point. But uh, he but he but then he did go on to say, yes, I did. I did wrong. I, I, I hope that, you know what I, you know, I, I've served time and blah, blah, blah. And that's, uh, so, you know, it's certainly, I, you know, I expect some people, you know, the comments section, uh, on, on our webpage and our Facebook page, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who say this guy's a crook, once a crook, always a crook. Um, you know, I mean, he's, you know, and I think he understands that he's going to have to, if he cares to, and I think he does persuade people that he's sincere, uh, you know, some people never change. Some people yeah. have, you know, a conversion. Uh, I mean, you'd like to think. I mean, we see it all the time in prison, and a lot of times it's it's uh, it's totally legit. I mean, people really have time to think. I think the problem is, you know, I'd walk through Jackson Prison when I covered the prison system uh, for the Detroit News, and you see people they're sitting there in their cells, and for a lot of people who are not thinkers. That is a scary, scary thing to be alone with you and your mind. And it really forces you because you've got nowhere to run. Uh, it forces you to look at yourself. And a lot of people don't like what they see. And I think Kwame didn't like what he saw. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, I hope it's, hmm. you know, sincere. I mean, I, I believe it, but I'm, I'm a little more gullible than maybe the average person, but you know, well, I, for Kilp people who are skeptical, there's certainly you know certainly a reason to be skeptical. It's amazing to me. Kilpatrick's done a wonderful job of now making himself some kind of a victim out of this whole thing. In my eyes, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I think until you really totally just totally say, yeah, I, I did this and I took a bribe yeah. or whatever, I think you can. It starts still with do that. that, but I don't think so. He says in there, I you know, if you read if you read the full thing. And, and I don't know if you've had a chance to read yep. it all, but he he says I'm not I, I'm not mad. You know, after a while, he says I wasn't mad at the people who testified against me. I'm not mad at you know the, the city of Detroit. I'm not mad. He goes, I'm mad at Kwame Kilpatrick. So okay. I think that's a good start. He's saying the right things, you know, in most of it. Uh, and so, like I say, I don't know. We all have. I mean. Prison is a serious thing, you know, when you give up your freedom and you have to spend a lot of time by yourself and you give up a lot of stuff in life, uh, it forces you to think about what's important. And look, his kids were mad at him. His kids, his kids were pissed at him, you know, that, that he ruined their lives for a while. I mean, you know, from one point, they're, they're so proud. Their dad's the mayor. I mean, this totally prestigious thing. And suddenly their dad's in, in prison. Uh, which is nothing to you know crow about. So, so uh, Alan, he, he realizes he he hurt a lot of people beyond his family, beyond you know in the city of Detroit. I mean, you know. Well, while the mayor was in prison, uh, he and his wife Carlita got divorced, and now right. he's getting remarried. Tell us about the woman he's marrying and how they met. 
You know what? Uh, uh, he did not want to talk much about that. He just told me that uh, that he just uh, asked her to marry, and she said yes. And I said, "Is there a date set?" And he said, uh, "Not yet." Uh, but he says we're not going to wait a million years. We're going to, you know, make it happen. So I don't know a lot. I don't know anything really about her except just what That's that she's from Detroit. Did know? he did he and volunteer so question, that, that they were getting married, or is that something you had asked him? Um, I think I had asked him because I had heard rumors about that. I I, I had asked him, and, and then he uh, he had said. Uh, Originally, when I talked to him first, uh, I had said, you know, before to set up the interview, I, I had uh, said, I heard you were getting married. And he laughed, said, no, no. But I, I think since that time, I mean, a few weeks had passed and he, he said he just asked her to get married. So, hmm. And then he said, you know, I asked him if he has a relationship with Carlita and he said, you know, they really haven't had a real ongoing uh you know relationship or even conversations for you know anything regular he says they sh i mean they share you know a common bond of three children uh he said he he has spoken to her a couple times since he's been out and then he said he said i told her if you want to bring if you ever get married you can bring your funny looking guy around and we'll all have dinner together so well, I, I'm trying to read this as as uh, as we're talking. This this is just breaking news at DeadlineDetroit.com or with Alan Langell, the editor of Deadline Detroit, who's got an exclusive interview and report on the future of Kwame Kilpatrick. Uh, I, I've I've reached a part where it says, "Were you surprised? Were you asked the mayor? Were you surprised you were convicted?" And he says, "I didn't walk into that courtroom with any notion of being innocent till proven guilty." I think I was convicted a long time before that. Now, I heard him tell a judge the same thing when he was sentenced to a much lighter sentence in the text message case mm -hmm. that was a state case before this federal racketeering case. But I don't remember whether you were in the courtroom or whether you were watching in the media overflow room, but the look on the mayor's face when the guilty verdicts were read one after the other, he sure looked pretty surprised to me. Did you right. press him on that? Uh, you know, then I did, I was probably in the jury in the, in that little press room when that happened. Uh, I didn't, I did. I mean, I asked him if he was surprised and he was like, well, I sort of expected, I, 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 I mean, I think we all had a sense when we were covering the trial that he seemed confident that he was going to somehow do something, whether it was going to get an acquittal or hang the jury, uh, which is, you know, in a case like that is probably a better, uh, you know, more likelihood, but, uh, no, I, I, you know, we talked for, we talked for about an hour and a half and uh, you know, I could have went on for another hour and he had to get going. So, uh, at some point the interview ended, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, like I say, you know, and, and you were there and, and Teresa was there. Uh, we, we all sort of sense, I mean, he carried himself with a lot of confidence and, and, didn't seem too worried, but uh, I think when he started getting worried about his 28 years was when his his uh, he kept filing uh, appeals and they kept getting slapped down and they weren't being taken seriously at all. I think at that point, but then he kept you know I, I think through faith and all 
I think he felt like he wasn't going to serve the whole time. I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't know that he would serve that whole time. I, you know, I mean, I think with, with good time, it's a little different in the federal system. I think he would have served about, he would serve the whole thing 24 years instead of 28. Yeah. You, you get, you get a 15% reduction as long as you are a, uh, you know, you mind your manners while you're in there. So he was never right. going to do 28 years. But 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 I, I, I did not know what the I, verdict I thought was going to be. He would get a pardon at some or a commutation at some point. Sure. I, I thought I thought somebody after maybe 15 years would say, "All right, if there was a Democrat in there." Although, look, you know, the Republicans have commuted some of the, you know, uh, Sergeant Jimmy Harris, who you know the, is, is a friend. Uh, he was uh, convicted in a police FBI sting. He did about 15 years, and he got. He was a Detroit cop, and he got a pardon from the Bush administration from uh, from W. Uh, and basically, the argument was he got a 30 year sentence on a a sting where they were flying in fake dope in the early 90s into city airport, and they had asked police to help protect those shipments. And, and Jimmy was one of those guys. And after 15 years, uh, he somehow found a good attorney who had a connect with the White House and, and said, hey, this is like a made-up crime. This is a sting. There wasn't even a real crime going on. And they said, yeah, okay, we buy that. So Okay. Well, I, I mean, when I went into the courtroom the day that the verdict came down, I had uh, I did not know what the jury was going to say, but the, the mayor did seem very confident. He was always a right. very confident person, and I think to mm-hmm. – to get into politics, particularly at the age that he did, and to be as successful as he was, you really had to have that sort of uh, bottomless reservoir of faith in sure. yourself, and that uh, and that uh, the sun was shining on your face. And I think that maybe one of the reasons he got in trouble was because he felt like he could do no wrong. Uh-huh. But uh, but he, now I asked him, now he's coming. Did, did, can you can, sorry, Alan, I just want to yeah, I want to talk about the the, the preaching. That. If he talked about whether he considered other careers other than going into ministry, uh, you know that I mean, was did, did, did Carmanos uh, offer him another job? Uh, I'm sorry, say that again. I said, did Pete Carmanos offer him another job? I, I don't think so. Okay. I, don't, I don't think there's uh, you know at this point. But uh, I, I mean, he says that's uh, that's his. He felt he can't imagine himself doing anything else but the ministry. Uh, so I don't know. You know, I mean, we all we all can love a profession and, and then at some point not love it anymore. But, you know, I mean, it's a calling supposedly like, mm. you know, like journalism is to us. It's, you know, it's been our calling and for better or for worse. Uh, we're stuck. We feel like we this is, you know, it's in our DNA. But um so well he's always been a natural at getting people um to give their money up so it just seemed like a natural progression i that's kind of yeah, what we always yeah, thought he I would mean, go you know, into there's certainly were, there, there's reason to be uh skeptical i mean we've we've seen and he, he and i asked him i said you're gonna have your own church and he says well if it's meant to be he says you know there's too many of these people who create churches and and people are skeptical of that and we certainly, I mean, there's a lot of great people in the ministry, but there are also a lot of people who are, you know, living high off the hog and, and you know, through the tithings of the, of the church and, uh, you, know, you know, in all the religions, I think you see it. But uh, so there's certainly reason to, to, you know, be skeptical as, you know, so. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, it's a great get. And the other yeah, thanks, thanks. I, it's a, it's actually, it's a pretty. It, it was, I, it was a fascinating conversation. It, uh, one of the things mentioned yeah. in the in the beginning of it is, did he have a heart attack last year? It's, that's what he said. He said he had a cardiac arrest in the. Uh, what happened was, and and this is sort of a fascinating backstory to all that. And I think we might have cut out some of it. We were just trying to condense a little bit. But if you recall, every time there were stories coming out saying, "Hey, uh, Kwame's getting out," and you know we, you know, and then he's not getting out, and and we're like, "Oh my God, what kind of bullshit is that?" And then a second time, it, it happened again, and he, I said, "What was going on?" And he said, "The uh, prison system, which can uh, they can they can trigger a release if if they find uh, good reason." And I'm not sure exactly the reason, whether it was his health issues or the pandemic itself, but they were going to spring him. And he had si- he said he had signed the papers and he was in isol- in a COVID isolation. You had to be in, in isolation for 21 days before you were released. And he was doing all that. At the last minute, it got rejected. And then the same thing happened several months later, because you recall there was a second story. And after a while, we we're like, what kind of bullshit? We're getting bad information here. And I think this is my, he said that William Barr, the Justice Department was knocking it down. Now the U.S. Bureau of Prisons is part of the Justice Department. Uh, Matt Snyder, uh, Trump appointee, uh, who is quite in favor uh, in, in the Justice Department, was opposed to Kilpatrick's release. And I'm just totally speculating here that my guess is that he, he made a phone call and said, hey, we don't want that guy out that guy needs to stay behind bars and that's what happened. But then, you know, Trump, Trump's all, and, uh, he did the, the commutation, you know, at the, at the last minute. And he talks about that. He says, uh, some guy who in, in the prison, uh, one of the inmates, uh, says he saw, on, he tells Kwame, I, I saw on CNN that you, uh, got a shot at a, the president might uh, commute your sentence. And Kwame's like, oh, don't mess with me. And the guy says, no, no. He says, uh, it's, it's real. So uh, the commutations were supposed to be announced at uh, midnight on January, starting the, or the morning of mm-hmm. January 20th. And Kwame didn't hear anything. So then he tells the correction officer, he says, hey, can you do me a favor and check the, the commutations? And, and the guard's like, no, I'm not doing that. He says, you're not getting one. And Kwame says, no, no, I think I might I have a shot at it. Please check. And the guy comes back. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, you got it. And it's already in the newspapers in Detroit. Uh, and that was about 1.30 in the morning. And I said, well, well, how'd you react? And he says, well, I fell to my knees and I prayed to God and I prayed to be, you know, forever loyal and whatever. And, uh, and he says, then I went to sleep. And he says, you know. I, I didn't totally believe it until I was actually escorted out of there. He says, but that morning about 10 a.m., he was out. And he before you know it, he was on a plane. And then before you know it, by 5 o'clock, he said he was in the living room of his uh, sister down in the Atlanta area. So, My God, I, I don't know how anyone goes to sleep after getting news like that. That's a pretty right, right. amazing yeah, I, situation. Right. But, Alan, we uh, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, Huge thanks. scoop. I'm sorry, I wanted to get it out to you guys earlier. No so. problem. Well, you know, I guess yeah. we'll we'll probably let you break news on your own publication first. <laughs> you know, we're kind of we're kind of generous like that. Um, yeah, if you that. want right. to get the full uh, story, go to deadlinedetroit.com. And while you're there, consider becoming a member. I'm a member. I 
contribute every month to support the great journalism at DeadlineDetroit.com. And if I could make one last pitch. Uh, yeah, I think, what, what can we say? Uh, for Danny, this is for uh, Danny Fenster, who's from Huntington Woods, whose uh, oh, yes. parent, parents are good friends of mine. He's, uh, he was the managing editor of uh, Frontier Myanmar. He was about oh. to hop on the, uh, you know, he's a great writer. He did a freelance piece for us about a year ago about a bar in Myanmar where the guy's just uh, obsessed about Eminem and the whole motif is Eminem and he guy talks like Eminem. Uh, but anyways, Danny was about to hop a plane to visit his parents and he made it through security and then they detained him at the airport and now he's in, as they call it, insane prison Uh there in Myanmar, and he's been there for two weeks now. And the State Department's been at least trying to get a visual uh, visit to make sure he's okay. And the military junta, which took over in February, has not allowed it so far. So uh, people ask if they're interested in helping out. It you know bug your Congress members, and, and I know it is. I, I talked to a friend in Washington who says the word is definitely gotten around on Capitol Hill. People are, are well aware of this, but, it, it, you know, the longer it goes on, it's over two weeks now. And his parents are really becoming distraught over the idea that their son is in a military prison where they've heard some, you know, political prison where they've heard some horrible things. And so they're, they're concerned about his safety and well-being. So, Well, I, I believe there's an online petition to try and, and uh, right. put pressure on the Myanmar uh, government. You may know it as Burma. But, um, but yeah, we're all hoping that Danny gets out uh, okay. And if you want to find out more about that, Alan, I imagine you guys have some stuff at Deadline Detroit helping people figure out what they can do to help with this situation. Yeah. yeah so Okay. So Deadline Detroit, uh, check it out. Alan Langle. Yeah, appreciate it. You guys have a great show. I, I, I enjoy it. Big scoop. Uh, we we appreciate yeah, you, you and, and your podcast uh, with the Craig Folly Show. So if you want yeah, to see yeah. more, Alan – Deadline Detroit's got it all. They, they, uh, wow, just uh, rocking the news cycle today. So, Alan, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay. Good thanks, Alan. Good seeing you all. Good seeing everyone. Yeah. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Ooh, we're about the what a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys? You know, with Geek of the Week, Sometimes we cut to the chase and sometimes we drag it out a little bit. And my mom often thinks that we're making light of some really bad situations by giving people a Geek of the Week award. But that's really all we have to give. We can't give them the not-so-Nobel Prize. We can't uh, uh, give them a, uh, a not-worthy-of-an-Oscar uh, Oscar award. All we have is our little old Geek of the Week. And this week, there's a lot of competition and not... Much of it is really, you know, very funny. It's it's really a sign that uh, that the geeks have inherited the worth uh, the earth. And uh, I'm going to start with the Justice Department, who it, we just have found out during the Trump administration were trying to get access to the emails and phone records of reporters at the Washington Post, CNN, and New York Times. Now, for folks who may mistake this as a partisan rant. The Obama administration was very aggressive in pursuing leaks. Perhaps the most aggressive. Perhaps one of the most aggressive administrations yeah. in recent history. But even they did not have this kind of campaign to go after the records of reporters. That is outrageous. 
the reason why we know some of these crazy things have been happening in this country is because of reporters. And if we start scaring the hell out of people who talk to reporters, we're going to find out even less than we know about our government, which is not nearly enough. Talk about an issue that people just won't care about. I mean, people won't care about that story. I think if, if, uh, if I changed some of the words around and said, uh, uh, this week's Geek of the Week is people who are setting reporters on fire and then shooting them in the face. People just be like, whatever, dude. We don't really care about reporters. They don't. So, uh, which is which is a shame. And uh, But you're right. It is a nonpartisan thing because the last two administrations both did it. Yeah. Both no. went after reporters. Very, very secretive and very, very concerned that people would find out what was really going on. But that's not your winner. No. No, no, not even close. Oh, okay. Uh, second place. Again, this is not our winner. These These people tried, but they failed are the boaters on Moses Lake in Washington State who <laughs> mocked another boat adorned with the gay pride flag. Now, the folks in the boat flying the flag thought they were being hailed, and then they got close enough to realize that these guys were waving with only one finger, and they were saying some things that were inappropriate. And so they started filming it uh, just in case these guys decided to come after them. Well, it turned out it's a good thing they hit the record button because as they were turning away the derision of the people on the not-so-lovey boat turned to desperation when their boat blew up. It caught fire, and the only folks there to rescue them were the sailors on the pride boat. So how do you like them apples? Did you watch any of their videos they took of the people at all? Or no, no, but but it was all over Twitter. We should probably throw a link up there. I understand it's 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 gone viral, as the kids say. Yeah, they didn't seem to be too appreciative either of the help that the boat provided too, which was kind of odd. But whatever. I mean, with one side of the story, but they're not your. Oh no, I I would say that uh, I would say that uh, they're irredeemable. Um, our winner is a guy named P.J. Patterson who. Is a fella in Florida, which means they got some special laws for people who like to kill folks. In this case, he killed an iguana. He beat it to death. And when he was arrested, he told the cops, I was just standing my ground, man. This iguana. Are you serious? It, it pulled a, I don't know, it pulled a tooth on me or something like that. Yes, he you, was you really arrested stand your ground? for cruelty to animals for beating this iguana. And he said that basically when he went... After the iguana, the iguana bit him, and so he had to kill it to stand his ground, and so he claimed self-defense. So, P.J. Patterson, I guess it was a three-foot-long iguana, but I guess that doesn't, you know, if you're in Florida, that's not, that's not a big deal, is it? Sean, are so, we still doing Geek of the Week? You are, you're our reptile <laughs> specialist. I'm sorry, I fell asleep. Are we still, are you still soaked? It's, and I, I say you're a reptile specialist because you seem a little reptilian today. Sorry, I'm trying to shed my skin over here. Okay. Aww. So anyways, uh, PJ Patterson, you, you are you are geek of the week. <laughs> I agree. See you again. There's an all-night party in room 7609. And you can dance together all night if you've got the time. If you're going to show up at any party, be it uh, 7609 or anywhere else, you got to look your best. Got to get back to your routine. Got to get your hair looking tight. 
So go to Lady Jane's because Lady Jane's going to help you look and feel like a king. They have a new, new store in Brighton. They got two in there, at least two now. Go to LadyJane's.com to find the closest location to you where their talented stylists will give you an award-winning haircut, the invigorating shampoo, which I feel like everybody in here needs some kind of something that's invigorating, a hot lather neck shave, hot towel treatment, all for a great price. Don't procrastinate. Keep your hair looking its best. Go to Lady Jane's. It is wicked. Awesome. Yes, you do not want a close shave with an iguana, but if you want a really good haircut. Are you mad I didn't use that segue into the story? I thought I maybe we could. My God, nitpicky. I know. Next time, just listen to your mom. You could just re-edit it and work it, work it back in there, something like that. But, um, yes, it is, uh, it's a good time for us to um, get into room 7609. And um, the only person who may be more despondent than uh, than your loyal soul of Detroit crew these days is Sinead O'Connor, who uh, oh, is now place. not going by the name Sinead O'Connor. She's changed her names a few times. She's uh, Are you serious. Yes, I didn't know she, that. She's now she's converted to Islam, and she has a name that I'm I'm not able to pronounce. Cuball, but um, <laughs> um, so 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 cool. Easy but funny. So so all, cool. t- all timing. But um, wow. But she is now living basically all by herself on a hill in a little Irish town. And uh, and why do we have to hear from her all the time? She's retired because she announced this month that she has retired. But it got me thinking about the time when Sinead O'Connor actually was performing at the top of her talents and collaborating with groundbreaking hip-hop stars like MC Light and doing little songs like... I want your hands up. Difficult never. 
a show. Cause when I say no, yo, I mean no. But when it comes to you, I just can't refuse. I beat around the bush, give you all types of clues. I love the way you make me feel, I never fight it. And when you are near, I get so excited. I want you to love me and just touch me. Or put your hands, put your hands on me. different song ml there's nothing like that's new wave so i anticipated that rejoinder coming from sean but since it's here i'm prepared to uh to parry that thrust um <laughs> what the f- say Dude. it say it you know you want to say it no i'm stopping myself come on man so i tried the water again thinking i just dumped it all over myself but no there's a hole <laughs> sorry sorry yes uh you want you want uh, a bib on you which would be your collaboration the reason why we're doing yes give us your time. thoughts please. not just not just because we're, yeah we're please not on. just because she's in well i thought i might do a routine about spilling on myself but i i think that's probably not going to win the day but the uh the reason why we went with Sinead O'Connor is not just because she's announced that she's retiring from music but because one of the things that people missed in when they think about about new wave is there was there was this sort of expansion period where as new wave was kind of catching on and becoming poppy people were looking for new ways to do the music. So you had, you had uh, Sinead O'Connor teaming up with, with MC light who before there was queen Latifah, there was MC light who was the pioneer yeah. female rap. Oh, there yeah. was Ofra Havza with Eric B and Rakim. There was all kinds of collab. Uh, Sinead O'Connor herself collaborated with the edge with Matt Johnson of the, the with a couple of guys from Adam and the ants and, and just she has traipsed all over the new wave map with different artists and being groundbreaking and also doing something that we just don't see with artists these days. She was very political and she was just featured in a big article in the New York Times talking about how tearing up the picture of the Pope was not the end of her career or her, and her downfall, but she says it was her salvation because as she was becoming very popular, she found the burden of being a star, of being an iconic pop performer, uh, paralyzing, and that that being sort of scorned and outcast and shunned uh, liberated her. and And I just think it's it's very interesting to think about our music now, where there's almost no message to it. I mean, I, I don't. I'm trying. To- uh, it depends where you're listening, though. I mean, there are some artists out there, Kendrick Lamar. Her, I mean, they have written protest type songs. 
I guess there probably is more in hip hop than there is in, um, in pop music, which I, I know hip hop has become very poppy. There's but. nothing on the pop charts. There's nothing popular. Like in the late 60s, those protest songs were all, I mean, those were the songs that topped the charts then. It doesn't happen now. Childish Gambino, he had one that was. He uh, did. He did. This is America. Uh, you know what's interesting about Sinead O'Connor being very political and out there, particularly with, say, women's rights and. And mainly women's rights. Do you find it odd that she converted to Islam, which, you know, a lot of Islamic states don't really give women rights. And maybe that's more political than it is a religious thing, but they don't give women much rights. Do you find that bizarre? I, I think the thing that I find most bizarre about Sinead O'Connor's conversion is that she hasn't converted to something else yet. I mean, if you follow her career, she at various times is against this cause and then later says I misspoke or I was under stress. But clearly when she, she, says, when she ripped up the Pope's picture, it's, it's a very anti-organized um, religion stance. And yet she then very publicly converts to another organized religion that seems counter to some of our other messages. I, I find that to be very, I don't know, it seems at, well, at odds of what she was doing. 25 you know? years ago, though. But she says the reason, was recent. the reason that she ripped up the photo is because it was a photo that her mother had on a wall and that her mother abused her. And the reason she ripped it up was not to disrespect the Pope, but to make a statement about how the Catholic Church. Yeah, they have a pretty bad track record. Authoritarianism. Yeah, or that they had enabled, you know, the, the silencing of people who had been abused. So the message she got out, it was not very well delivered. I guess I'm just surprised that she would convert to any religion, maybe based yeah. on her previous stances. Well, I think if we know, well, there's two things I, I learned this week about uh, Sinead O'Connor is that back when she had a lot of hair, she looked pretty good with a lot of hair. Um, and that whenever she makes a decision, she doesn't often stick to it. So this month she announced her retirement. Let us hope that that is yet another decision that she will backtrack on because as you heard in I Want Your Hands On Me, She's pretty damn talented, and uh, and uh, that's Room 7609, an excursion throughout the musical landscape with our very fine, young <laughs> Sinead. Nothing like bringing it in strong. Hey, yeah. I did want to say that overreaction is not the best strategy for the long-term investor. Oh. So oh, if you want to get you. in the market and uh, make some money, call Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. He'll provide rational financial advice, let you know what's going on. Uh, with where Do you want to put your money in stocks? Do you want to put it in bonds, uh, cryptocurrency? What's going on there? Um, any of that stuff, 401ks, 529s. Get advice. Get a strategy. Call Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. Because Luke will make it all about you and MC Light, sweetheart. <laughs> At one time, I needed you to stretch it really long. You didn't do it. I didn't have it ready. Uh, because Luke... I got it now. Let Don't me tell you about, about Luke. Securities and investment advisory services are make it all about Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRASIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. I don't want to see feedback from this show, but do we have feedback from other shows? I have feedback right now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You're alive. Can we just admit that he wants to listen to what he wants to listen to. ML? Yeah. Well, and it's his show. Well, and that's totally fine. And I really enjoyed that song. But It like does not sound like it's totally well, fine. No, but to justify it as some kind of new wave thing, just say, hey, here's a cool song. And well, we're she gonna, was new wavey. What, you don't whatever. consider Sinead O'Connor a new wave artist? 
Mm. Really? Just, maybe it's just that voice. Because it was melodic? And Yeah, beautiful. Folk pop. Or you just want to give him folk, shit. Folk pop. Now, did, have folk, you... Folk uh, pop. What did you say? No, I just... I want the segment to be whatever Mike likes, you know? But you don't. That'd be great. So she claims that when she visited Prince, he kept trying to force her to eat soup, and she didn't care to eat soup. Yeah, she had some really... Keep serving me soup. Weird allegations about Prince, and I, which came out of... Contradicted and, you know... Came out of nowhere. She, Dude, she's a mess, man. The most benign story I've heard is that Prince kept forcing someone to serve her soup and she declined to eat the soup. So Prince, not a new wave artist, but a groundbreaking <laughs> pop star. There you go. And a total, total shredder. <laughs> on the there guitar. you go. So, okay. So there's a concession. Show. Finally. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Um, uh, well, we, we, uh, there's no need to concede to high mortgages. You know, David Hall, he, he, uh, he wouldn't put up with this. And he's not going to put up with you guys paying too much for a mortgage. If you give him a call at Hall Financial, they will get you a better deal. They will do it fast, and they will be so easy to work with. That's been my experience. Hall Financial is still getting people deals in the twos. These things are starting to go up, so you really don't want to wait too long. You want to get your call in to David Hall. And if you don't know how to reach him, there is a link on our website. Go to Hall Financial, you'll get a better deal. And you'll start saving money, like, immediately. That's a pretty good deal. So go to our website, mlsoulofdetroit.com. Link through to David Hall's website. And uh, while you're typing, you know, just type in the, hey, you know, uh, ML. ML told me to go. Sean told me not to come here. But uh, <laughs> I'm coming here not just to spite Sean, but because I know I'm going to get a good deal. And MLS. One four six seven four three five, and you can just give them a call at two four eight three zero eight five thousand. That's two four eight three zero eight five thousand. Beautiful. What feedback do you have for us? Uh, some, some, you know, and and uh, I kind of debated starting the show asking people if they're getting bored with politics. Obviously, Sean's bored with politics, um, and with uh, and politics. with the quest for justice. I'm never bored with anything. <laughs> oh, boy, you really sold that wrong. Well. Say yeah, it's, it's a. <laughs> A, a, a deceptive monotone, um, but uh, but you know I, I've been talking a, a, a bit about my campaign on this show. It's Tuesday, tomorrow, Wednesday. Most of you you won't hear this in time, but we're doing some live events, going out and meeting people because we feel like it's it's safe and responsible to go out and hear people and talk to people and just interact with folks. Um, and, and we get a lot of feedback in the mailbag about politics. Uh, let us know whether you want to hear more about what's going on. In local politics, or if you're getting bored, if you are, we'll uh, we'll we'll change the mix up a little bit. But Julie writes: Do big endorsements for council candidates happen during the primary, or usually not until after the top two are selected in August? For example, Duggan and the UAW. Well, I interviewed with the UAW yesterday, so hopefully they're wow. going to they're going to endorse before the uh, before the primary. Uh, Mayor Duggan is staying out. Of the primary, we'll see what he does in the general election. But I'm hey, running that, myself. To, to, I'm not running to be anybody's boy. To that point, and then maybe this sounds um, maybe counterintuitive because obviously the second election matters more. But is the primary more important than the general election? In other words, getting through the weeds of all the people running versus just running against one person. What do you think is going to be tougher? So if you don't make it through the primary... Does that make sense how I asked that at all? No, I I know where you're going with that, but it's one of those sort of trap questions because 
if you say, well, the primary is not that important, you see people who act like that and then lose in the primary so they don't get to the general. Obviously, the general election is the one where you get the There's job if you yeah. win. Yeah. But it, it's sort of like the Olympics, you know, what's more important, the uh, gold medal game or the preliminary rounds? Well, the gold medal game is the most important, but if you don't treat the preliminary rounds uh, with the proper preparation, then I'll you, put it, let me put it this way. I feel like more attention is paid to the primaries um, for these elections than the actual general election. Oh, I, I don't know, because the turnout for the primaries is abysmal. It may be 15 or 20 percent. In the general election, you're thinking it's going to be somewhere between 40 and 60 percent. So that's because you, everybody knows when a general election is. I couldn't even tell you when a primary is. August 3rd, please register to vote. But um, <laughs> Thank you. Well, there is a different, there's a different feel to the primary and the general. And different races are different. So in the city of Detroit, elections are nonpartisan. So the top two highest vote getters advanced to the general or will advance to the general election. Most races, county races, state races, federal races are partisan. And in heavily Democratic Detroit and in, in Western Michigan, which is heavily Republican, once you win the primary, you're pretty much in unless you totally screw up. So in that case, you know, people will be done uh, for the most part running in August. Mm. But in Detroit, with the nonpartisan races, you're running your legs off to get to August. And then after that, you're running on your hands and whatever else you can get to move you forward to make it to the general election. And there is a different, there is a different vibe in a primary because when you have so many candidates and Detroit City Council elections, when they were all at large and everybody was basically competing for nine spots. Yeah. You didn't see much of what the professionals would call contrast ads where it's like, I'm the greatest and this guy's a bag of dirt, so don't vote for him because you There's can't too many people, contrast yeah. yourself with six yeah. other people or nine other people or 30 other people. We've had, we've had city council primaries where there might be dozens, scores of people on the ballot, and how do you distinguish yourself from that pack? But once it gets down to two, that's when you might see somebody – citing the other person's record or bringing up something that... Uh, That's when it gets nasty. Uh, get, yeah, when it gets toe-to-toe. And I've, I've, uh, I, I like um, all the other people who are running in my race, and there's one particular candidate that we, we bump into each other all the time because we live in the same neighborhood, and we, we get along really well. We just want to do the same thing, so that's kind of unfortunate for the future of our friendship. But, uh, but kind of. That's good for constituents. Yeah. So, well, no, it's great that the people have good choices and it, it makes us work harder as candidates to say you, you got good like choices. I'm the best. But every like time I run into him, we, we have a good time catching up. We're like, you know, we can keep laughing until August 4th. And then if it's just the two of us, then we'll, then we'll, then we'll figure out how our relationship evolves. But, uh, so but there weird. are not a lot of, uh, th- there are a lot of endorsements in the primary. You have entered a bizarre world. It is a strange Very place. Bizarre. And we've, we've actually secured some, some of the most coveted uh, endorsements so far, but we're going to be disclosing those. Uh, Ooh. I'm happy for you. As we <laughs> go forward, if you want to go to our social media at ml4detroit.com, please follow, like, and all that other good stuff people do on social media. But we're going to be breaking some news ourselves there. And, you know, we tried to get in the news yesterday by commenting on this 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 abysmal no sentence cares. for Gabe yeah. Leland, but just nobody cares. The media has moved on. and uh, Gabby's got a good question here, it, too. It did get reported on, but just really, I mean, 
I think there's a story out there about why he got so little. I think the media's moved on from the Gabe Leland story when really – well, there's been there's, so many Gabe stories. There's the a whole, year, you know, so. I did them all. That's the problem mm-hmm. is, you know, nobody else seemed to care, but whatever. You have Gabby's question. I thought. Oh yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Gabby said, it'd be fascinating for you to explain what publishers and or editor in chiefs do all day. Um, probably answer emails and wonder why the hell did I get into this thankless job? She's wondering because on previous episodes, we've talked about good stories getting spiked both in print and on TV and wondering who sways an editor or a publisher to spike a topic. I mean, in my experience, it's been that individual themselves that they didn't like the story. They thought the story was not suitable for their publication or their broadcast or that they would have done it a different way. And if the reporter won't uh, bend to their will, they'll say, well, I have the final say and the final say is we're not going to publish it. That happened to me a few times at the free press about 10 years ago. And that's why I left the second to last time. Um, also Gabby wonders about, we had mentioned that when the Kilpatrick text message story was about to drop, the publisher of the free press reached out to the governor to give her a heads up. Gabby asked, why would he do that? Seems to suggest there's chumminess between journalism brass and those in power and goes on to wonder uh, whether or not we're seeing that same sort of unholy alliance between Governor Whitmer and other people um, and, uh, and that politicians no longer seem to fear the press. Well, I think politicians still do fear the press. I think most politicians in this town, in this state, if they hear uh, uh, Your Majesty uh, Charlie LaDuff on line one, they don't feel very good about themselves. And there's still some other reporters out there, Jennifer Dixon, uh, Christine McDonald at the Free Press. If they're calling you, that is probably a good time to get your crisis, crisis communications team assembled. But for the most part, and maybe, maybe this is because we just came out of COVID and, and Zoom-type press conferences, it seems like there is no fear with dealing with the press from a, a politician standpoint, right? Like they, they don't seem to have that scrum uh, where they get asked tough questions. Well, now when a lot of it's virtual, they can decide who gets to ask That's the question. Point, I mean, yeah. when, when we had Craig Mauger, the news on, who's another guy who I think strikes fear in the hearts of uh, the venal that um, they weren't calling on him. And I know, you know, I left Fox uh, just before the pandemic hit and for me, if people won't meet with me, well, first of all, it's not appropriate to meet with people because of the pandemic. And then if they don't meet with me, I go find them. And so, you know, if you went to go track down some public official who was, you know, had some things they needed to answer for, I don't think that necessarily looks real good when you're asking somebody some very pointed questions when everybody's like, hey, big fella, stay six feet apart. So, so that has definitely changed the relationship between the media and the press. I do think that that the uh, politicians seem less fearful of the press because they feel like the the power of the press has been diminished just because there sure. aren't as many people uh, subscribing or watching or listening to the media. Well, sure, but, but plus they have so many out, other outlets that they can go to, right? They right, can, and they can go to a very friendly outlet to get their story out there. I mean, we see it with Whitmer. Well, that's a, that's a huge problem. Biden Biden went on Morning Joe when there was the allegation of sexual harassment. You know, I mean, Morning Joe, you know, that's that's not exactly um, 
hard-hitting journalism unless you're from the other end of the political spectrum. And we've yeah. seen politicians go on Fox News to face things that they knew they were going to get a soft landing from uh, from you know Judge Genie or somebody like that. Well, just to the point about questions and tough questions, I don't know that that matters either if you like a certain politician or feel a certain way ideologically, right? In other words, you're going to blame the reporter. If you like the the, the politician, you're going to blame the reporter for a tough question. If you don't, you're going to love the tough question. That's just kind of where we're at. Yeah, but it's there's the same idea. You don't think there's enough people, enough independents, people in the margins that would be like, oh, I do not like that person. I don't like the way they handled it. I mean, we see it, and I'll keep going back to it. We do see it with Whitmer. There was just a poll out um, of her favorability, and it has sunk a lot, and I think a lot of What's it. What's it down to? Uh, she is at 50% the last poll, right? What was it? favorability. Was it up near 60? Yeah, she was up near 60. So that could All be because even, of that trip? It, well, we don't know. It could be because of the way she's handled the pandemic. There's a lot of people that were not happy with the way she's handled it. But I think a lot of it has to go with, there's a string of things, like her husband's joke about putting the um, the boat in the, the boat, water. Yeah. The trip to Florida on the plane. I, in, in the way she has handled those has been abysmal. And she really hasn't been taken a task for it. And when she's asked about it, she will say things like, I've already talked well, about it. What do you mean she hasn't been taken a task for it? Her favorability like just slipped 10 points. So how did that happen? Because Well, because the story's out there now. And it's, right. she's been exposed as lying about it. Right. And, and multiple so she times. has been taken a task for it. That's my point. I mean, right? I don't feel like she, I don't feel like she has answered any questions about it. She looks awful. For, for that i know that's that's kind of the problem with it because when is somebody going to really come at like to her face and say explain this and then channel follow her up on a challenger on a follow-up question because now like the last time when she was in a, there was a somewhat of a scrum where she had the hard hat on i don't even know what event it was at and she just said look i've said what i've had to say and i'm not talking about it anymore and I think so you, a, I think I, my point being is I think that has had an effect on how people feel about it. Well, you're talking about that 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 ten percent drop. So that's the margin you're talking about. Yeah, right? but that's an election. Because even that fifty percent, I know plenty of people um, who are Democrats who hate what she did and how of she's course. handled it. But they're obviously still going to vote for. Her. And then there are people that that uh, well, wouldn't have mattered if she did it or not. They weren't going to vote for her either anyway because she's a Democrat. Possibly. You so don't you're, know, you don't you're know what the other about choices that yet. small. You're talking about that, and and I get it. That's where sometimes elections are won and lost. Yeah, but for the most part, you go to the news. There's uh, a feeling outlet maybe, that reinforces what you oh, think. Absolutely, that's there's, just where there's we're no at. No doubt about there being confirmation bias in an echo chamber. I mean, everybody sees it. You see people complaining about Fox because they only cover this, and then you see people complain about CNN because they or only MSNBC. Cover that. Yeah, yeah right. no, that that's gonna. I just there just seems to be. A feeling of where are these tough reporters going after these lying politicians? I still think they're out there. It's just I think you dismiss it if it's a politician you like, so you don't see it as much. You don't think about it in the same way. I think Matt Gates is most afraid of Scholastic Magazine. He's out on tour with Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? Yeah. They're running around the country. Is so anybody it's... really hitting him hard with questions? Or is, he, is it just too easy to avoid that? They're now? writing stories saying what's happened, but a lot of people just don't care. And it's the same with folks on the left. I mean, it, it oh, works I, I works both I ways. I just hope we never get in a position. Because, look, there's a lot of things in life I don't care about. But, I, you know, overall, macro, I there's, those these things matter, man. 
I agree. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, obviously, Mike does. Well, the other thing is, so the question comes back to this issue of, is the power of the press diminished? Are, are politicians afraid of it? I, you know, while I think the traditional media definitely is, is struggling to, to, to find a way to pay for all the, the work that we need done to break all the news that we need broken, it is the media that's exposed these things. I mean, Gretchen Whitmer well, yeah, did a great job during being... the pandemic. She did a tremendous job she as did. our governor. But the, there's the been some that up. there's been some some missteps made that are mainly uh uh inconsequential. I mean, so you took a trip, you know, what's the big deal? What's the way she handled it that she's paying for? But she is paying a price for those missteps and it's because of what's been reported. Now the the, the, lying the non-disclosure worse. things are bad. But but right, but who who exposed the lies? Uh, Michigan Information Research Service, Charlie Laduff, other reporters, Mauger's been doing some good stuff. The Free Press has been doing some good stuff. You know, the power of the press is still there, but it's not really the power of the press. It's the power of the truth. And the issue is who is out there trying to get the truth, and the truth comes from reporting. It's because the press is out there trying to get to this stuff. And, and yet, I'm sorry, go ahead real quickly. And yet, what did do mark to the favorability rating? All that truth came out, and it knocked it 10 points. So 50% still approve of her despite that, right? And, and it probably shouldn't be that high because of that, because she looked like a real hypocrite. I mean, maybe the problem is just that there's too many places now. There's too many outlets because it used to be, you know, a politician would have to go answer to, I don't know, Walter Cronkite or whoever that person was yeah. of the day. And now you never, you never see anybody from the left. I mean, there's sure there's exceptions, but you never see anybody from the left going on a Fox News show. And you rarely see anybody from the right going on CNN or MSNBC. Well, Jake Tapper says he won't book them on CNN. And that's a problem. I mean, he's like, well, I'm he not going to say let he wouldn't on. book Republicans. He didn't say that. No, but he said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let people on who lie. Well, as Chris Wallace pointed out, so you're not going to have this, the, uh, the, the, the Republican leader and of, of Congress come on your show. I mean, how can you, how, how do you have a blanket rule like that? That's yeah. just, you know, have them on. If they want to lie, have them on and expose them. That's just dumb. That was Chris Wallace's argument. Yeah. And, oh, he, and, and Wallace sense. is right. What you do is you bring them on. And when they start telling the lie, you clown them. Yeah. You know, and, and anybody remember the old bill bonds, uh, interview with Orrin Hatch where Orrin Hatch walked off the, uh, walked off camera because Bill Bonds was just pounding me. He's like, I didn't come here to take this from you. And Bill Bonds says, well, then, then go away. I, I, if you're not going to, if you're not going to answer, you never see questions. That you, you go away. I don't want you on there. No, because they know they don't have to do it. Right. That's and they know problem. they won't be back on a second time. You know, so if you have a guest who's really, really, uh, really, really entertaining and you catch him in a lie, and they get embarrassed and like, well, I'll never go on that show again. Well, there's similar similar issues going on with sports writing right now, right? With yes. the Naomi Osaka yeah. and the very, idea that very very similar. the idea of the press conference and do athletes deserve to be to have to sit? No, they don't need us at all. But Not the ones anymore. the Not ones social that, media the ones that do it and the ones that you know participate and we talked to Perquette about it to these longer form kind of in depth things. People tend to like them a little better. They do, but it's the same. It's look the, uh, as we speak, and I know nobody can see it right now. But there's a television screen in here with a tweet from uh, Alexandria Octavia Cortez. She's just speaking directly to her constituents, and every politician can do that. You mentioned the Speaker of the House, the minority, the minority leader of the House, Kevin McCarthy from Texas, right? Well, first off, California. We, we Ca- excuse me, sorry, California. I had Dan 
the the Abbott on my mind, the lieutenant governor there. It, it, they all go right to their people. Nice Dan Abbott reference. Yeah, they go right to the people. Yeah, well, they, well, they've skipped think, over. It. Isn't it Greg Abbott? Greg Abbott and governor Dan Dan Patrick is Dan Patrick. Yeah, sorry, wow, that Nyquil's hitting your heart. I know. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I, I, who who saw just, him leaving ESPN to go into politics? <laughs> the problem crazy. The the problem with things like you just referenced with AOC's tweet is I think too much attention gets paid to her and the Marjorie Taylor Greens, and I understand why attention gets paid to them because they say stuff that gets people riled up and want to pay attention. But honestly, how much power do either of those two people have? The Texas governor signed a, a bill yesterday that's going to change education, right? They want to highlight 1836, Texas independence, and downplay the slavery and all that sort of thing. There were no questions, really, so to speak. From There were no tough questions. There you go. And the video went out on a Twitter account from the governor's office. That is a problem. And that's how it works right now. Well, what, what's going to end up happening is is we're going to be further balkanized because if you don't agree with the governor of Texas, you're not going to follow him on Twitter or watch any of that stuff because you don't care to hear it. But if you if you consume the mainstream media, you might follow what he's saying because somebody may pose some counterpoints to it. You may have a more balanced, more nuanced thing. So I do think if people think oh, nuance is dead, they'll just go directly to the people. They will go directly to the people, but it'll be a, a shrinking pool of people because fewer and fewer people want to just get that uncut bullshit. But there are still some of us out there who are like, I'll listen to some of what this person has to say. If there's someone who's knowledgeable and hardworking who will give me the other half of it and where I can say, oh, that sounds pretty good. Is it true? And so these athletes who want to develop, you know, when, uh, was it Jeter who started the Players' Tribune? Yeah. You know, how well is that doing? I mean, it's just athletes just saying, well, here's exactly how I see it. I mean, does anybody clamoring for, hey, where's my copy of the Players' Tribune? No. I mean, it's just a vanity project from a bunch of jocks who just don't want anybody to say, uh, you know, to, to, to raise a voice against them. I, I, think, I think what's going to happen is at some point all this echo chamber stuff, people are just going to say, I'm sick of it. I'm not going to listen to it anymore. I'm sick of people you telling me how great they really are. You really think so? I think uh, not everybody, but I think that the the number of people who consume it is going to is going to shrink unless I'm with Mark. There's some sort of massive, massive thing where Tiger Woods finally, you know, discloses what happened the day of the accident. He's the only one talking about. It. That's a pretty big event. We want to know about it, but you know, uh, Naomi Osaki talking about you know what sort of racket she's going to use or, uh, or Michael Fulmer uh, tweeting that I'm not going to talk to the media, but here's my favorite hair gel, or here's how I learned to throw this pitch. And I'm not saying that Michael Fulmer doesn't engage with the media. I have no idea. I'm just using a, yeah. a local uh, 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 leading light. You should see the responses, man. Most of the, most of the fans were on the side of the, of Naomi Osaka, most of fans. Oh, and, really? And, yeah. Oh, Absolutely. They don't. They don't feel like they should be subjected to. They, you know, they're out there performing. They're entertaining in a way, and then should they be subjected to questions about failure and all that? Well, technology has made it so they don't need to. No, they don't. And I was horrified because that's what Mitch wrote, and I agreed with him. <laughs> I agreed with his column. I thought Mitch's column was dead. Dead on. Same with yeah, right. The idea that we're not really talking to each other in the same way. And I still like that again. I'm with you, Mark. It's human nature. We're going to keep getting into our yep. bubbles further and further. Well, those bubbles are going to burst eventually because... Uh, yeah, yeah because we're going to... In a civil war. <laughs> no, just like a regular bubbles I, burst. At some point, it gets too big and flimsy, and it blows up, or it, it bumps up against something rougher, and then and kaplooey. Uh, to get back to one of Gabby's early uh, 
questions here is, is it, what do we make of publishers um, telling politicians that big stories are coming? Um, well, just to go back to that Kilpatrick example, the publisher didn't tell the governor exactly what was coming, but sometimes that'll happen because they'll tell other leaders in the community, hey, get ready, we're about to do something big. Do I think that that's appropriate? No. Was yeah, we, why were would we they happy when we that? found out about that? No. But sometimes there is a value in telling people, hey, we're about to report this. And people can say, oh, my God, well, you, did you know this? Because I know this, too. Or Yeah, you get more information or yeah, a comment or a quote. It, it, I, I understand that. But Using it to leverage it, that's fine. But if it's a bunch of if it's a bunch of give a heads up, people sharing that, it with a bunch of yeah. connected people, you know, let them go buy the damn paper themselves. Um, we want to thank our very generous donor, Kim, who also suggested Adam and the Ants last week she sent a generous donation it was not written on a pound note and she also observed thank you for playing adam ant i agree stand and deliver is the best adam and the ant song but i thought you would think it was too well known which is precisely why we went with kim's suggestion for room 7609 if you missed it check out last week's episode you can check out all our episodes at mlsolvedetroit.com you can subscribe to the show you can rate the show Please share the show. You can follow us on social media. If you want to follow my campaign, it's ml4detroit.com. That's also our Twitter handle, ml4detroit. If you want to know what's going on with the show on Facebook, I am mlnoperiodselric. That's also where you'll find the live broadcast every Tuesday, somewhere around noon. And then uh, on Twitter, that's the best way to find out what's going on with the show. Just follow at Elric, E-L-R-I-C-K. Um but that's pretty much it. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate your indulgence. If you want to hear some real quality podcasting, of course, there's Charlie Duff's No BS News Hour and your daily dose of D's and Do's and Dem. Um, yes. And uh, Maz, Maz taking it on the chin. Now that's justice. You will find <laughs> that on the Drew and Mike podcast. Uh, right, Kevin? No, not Kevin. Kevin would agree. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin would agree. And Cyrus, uh, I wish I'd said this 72 minutes ago, but take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? We're making the most fully developed human the world has ever seen. But instead of just one perfect reporter, I had the two of us. Wrong. The embryo did split in two, but it didn't split equally. All the purity and strength went into... ML. All the crap that was left over went into what you see in the mirror every morning. Sean. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You tell me I'm the crap? No, oh, this is not true. Sean. I don't want to hear this. You tell me that I am the leftover crap, that I'm no good? He's wrong. Look at him. You haven't got the brain power to understand this, and I haven't got the time. Show's over.